Hello, and welcome to Climbing Trees, a podcast where we explore the brilliant minds that have inspired brilliant minds. And our guest for today, our brilliant mind for this episode, is none other than the Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, Senior Pastor of the First Presbyterian Church, Berkeley, California, and co-host of the podcast, This Is Crucial. Charlene, I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for joining the program. I am so happy to be here with you. That's wonderful, and I'm so glad that this is happening. Now, Charlene, you and I go back a ways, way before we were reverend doctors, before, I think before we were even reverends, let alone reverend doctors. Yes. Um, Way back before we were parents, way back before we were pastors. May you please tell our audience how you and I came to know one another or anything that you would like about our time serving together the church in New York. Okay, so I was an intern at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church when you were the director of youth and family ministries. I guess it was just called the director of family ministries at the time, right? You just oversaw all the things that happened in Sunday school, youth group, families, all that. And so I remember being an intern and thinking, um, if this is ministry or if this, if these are the kind of people that are in ministry, I definitely want to do ministry. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you took ministry seriously, but you did not take yourself too seriously, which I found to be so refreshing and humbling. And then I got called back to Fifth Ave after um, seminary to serve as their director of Christian education and ultimately their associate pastor over that area. So you and I worked together for in that capacity, I think for less than a year. And then you moved on. Yes. And then you moved on to, um, to, to a call to become a pastor. Yeah. I moved North uh, as the crow flies about eight miles is what happened, but it changed (laughs) presbyteries. It changed everything, Jacob. It, it it did change everything. It did change everything. I love Huguenot, but um, and I love here. But oh my, oh man, do I miss um, living and serving in New York City every day? Yeah. And um, uh, you know, um, hand, hands down, even though even even though it was a unique time, uh, both in my life, but also in the life of the church, yeah. Fifth Avenue is a pretty neat spot. Yeah. You know, pretty Absolutely. incredible place. And, um, you know, no doubt our, our, our time together was incredibly sacred, incredibly sacred. We, uh, um, we were able to provide that church a whole lot of stability. Yeah. Even though at different times it didn't last all that long. Yeah. That really was a gift. And yeah, it was a formative time for us. We were babies in ministry, right? We really were. I, I, I have a friend who used to work at the national cathedral here in in dc and he uses the phrase that it was a fun sandbox to play in Mm. and 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 we played in a fun sandbox we did at fifth ave yeah it was it it was a good spot yeah we had a good time yeah absolutely um now charlene you are not just a rev and you went to princeton correct i did for a seminary princeton yep but you are also a reverend doctor what is that about i love talking to pastors about going back to school again. Um, What was it like to go back to school again? 
So I went to um, New York Theological Seminary and like you, I got my doctor of ministry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not doctor of philosophy, not doctor of medicine, doctor of ministry, to be clear. And um, what it was like going back to school again was actually I enjoyed it much more than being at school just as a full-time student because it provided context for what I was learning and doing. And it wasn't just so hypothetical and esoteric. It was just, it was the the demon program, as you know, full well is based in and around your context and a project and a problem that you are looking to address. Um, And so it felt really grounded. Um, And the problem that I was addressing at that time was that was when there was that whole emergence of those new pew form studies around the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, those who do not affiliate with any kind of organized religion. They can be people of faith. They can believe in God. They can, you know, believe in the gospel, but they don't necessarily go darken a door of a church or a mosque or a synagogue on their religious holy days. Um, And so I worked with the, that generation. So millennials at the time on writing their own statements of faith, because as Presbyterians, we believe that our canon um, of confessions of faith, our our book of confessions is is still open. It's still being written. And so I invited these millennials into that process. And um, in that, in doing that kind of uncovered why church had become so irrelevant for that generation. I was trying, I mean, obviously this, there was the sample was skewed towards those who were in the church, but through that process, um, one of the participants ultimately decided that they weren't a professing Christian. And so their confession of faith was that I don't have faith in the Christian God or the God of the church, which I found to be a gift and so courageous and fascinating. Um, and so, but being back in school was a trip. I, I mean, it's a several year process where you're working full time, writing a dissertation, editing it. And and in the process of writing my dissertation, I had an infant. Yeah. So that was the prayers are with you. (laughs) Yes. So when I started the program, I did not have an infant. But by the time I was dissertating, I had an infant. Yeah. And so that was um, even more challenging. And so anyone, it made me appreciate anyone who's juggling multiple modalities at any given time, multiple yeah. jobs, jobs in school, jobs in parenting, jobs in caring for an elder elderly parent or a family member. I just like hats off to you. It's right so hard, um, but can still be life-giving at the same time. And so that was my experience. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, the the one thing I want to say about the demon clarification, right? The doctor of ministry clarification is that what that means is that you are a doctor, like the absolute highest, most best of ministry, right? Mm. And so like that actually, that professionalness is is, is actually, I, th- I think with those of us that have demons and yes, that's me too. So I'm, I'm talking about ourselves, mm-hmm. but that we should wear that pro- boldly, you know, you know, that, that, that's not, Hey, I know a whole lot about how to exegete this one text in Mark. Right. It's, we know a whole lot about how to exegete texts and communities and right. how to make that happen well together. And um, unfortunately okay. I feel like we may not get, 
you know, the respect that they're due. But yeah. but I say kudos to you. Hey, I appreciate that perspective. Thank you. I needed that that encouragement. Well, and 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 just to kind of piggyback, what's so interesting about you talking about family is that um I graduated from seminary with my doctorate during the pandemic. And Ooh. so my hooding ceremony, right, when one yeah. you know, was actually virtual. But what was moving for me, similar how it was moving for you, was finishing with an infant, was that we then had the chance to choose who would hood us. And my two children <gasps> actually hooded me virtually from our living room. I love that. And it, and you know, like it, it just to your point, right? I mean, like there's so much more than just, hey, I'm going to, you know, read some books and write some stuff, is that it really incorporates our wholeness. And, um, you know, uh, you and I you and I that. get that at such a unique level. Right? Yeah, so, that's beautiful. So I, I'm so glad that you had that experience. No, likewise. That's, I yeah. mean, the fact, the fact that you walked someone through almost in a confessional, well, not almost, in a confessional nature. Yeah. You understand their own faith so much better. Yeah. That alone, right? That that That's sacred, right? Yeah. Plus the degree, the title, the infant, all that. Like, yeah. A, a, um, uh, I had a mentor a long time ago who said, if you're going to go and get that doctorate, don't do it for anything other than yourself. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and it, it was not, Hey, I got to go to school. Right. It was so filling. Yeah. And refreshing. And I'm really glad I took his advice and, and, and did what I did. Um, instead of thinking about what a future employer might want yeah, or, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, I, I, I could, I could do that for years. I'm sorry that I'm talking. No, to school, I love but, that. That's so wise. But, uh, anyway, back, Back to you, Charlene. Way more important. You are currently the senior pastor and head of staff at First Presbyterian Church, Berkeley, California. Northern California, correct? Northern California, yep. Awesome. What is it like to serve that community? Okay, such an amazing, uh, unique, interesting congregation. And also, I feel like that can be said about so many congregations or all congregations, in fact. So I want to qualify that a little bit. So um, I'm like looking out my window as I talk to you and a stone's throw in this direction and that Mm -hmm. direction are dorms for UC Berkeley. So Cal Berkeley, the number one public university in the country. So amazingly brilliant research, education, faculty, students, all that kind of stuff is just like wrapping us around this side of um of the church and on the other side of the church is is a neighborhood a neighborhood of people who have lived in berkeley for you know years decades and also um a, a growing unhoused population so tent communities in people's park on corners of our um, neighborhood and so it's it's a really interesting context to be doing ministry um, one of the biggest, like craziest things that I love to tell pastor friends is um, that a lot, there are multiple Bible language reading groups in my congregation. So oh, members, wow. I know, yeah. isn't that crazy? That is. So members of the community who are doing their Bible studies in the biblical Greek or Hebrew. Wow. Like I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Right. I could do that for the summer or the semester that I was doing biblical languages and I can parse like a word, but I can't open my Greek New Testament, just start reading. 
Um, and so initially in like preaching from this pulpit, which mm-hmm. has, you know, all, I think for any pastor, you or preacher, you're like asking the question, who held this pulpit before me? Sure. Right. So talk about people that were brilliant minds. Um, and that I think can be like a really inspiring concept and can also be a really terrifying one. Um, and so the context being that this congregation is extremely thoughtful and engaged and intellectual, but at their very core are like, you know, the members of Westminster or Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, just people in search of good news, right? And that's the thing that I had to really hone in on and remember because I'm not my predecessors. Um, And, but it's a, it's my best description of these people is that they love really hard. They care really hard. So whatever they're going to, whatever they're going to do, they're going to do it with all their might. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Um, It's less extroverted than fifth Ave. Uh-huh. So that was a, that was like a, an adjustment for me was coming to a community that wasn't super relational in the yeah. physical sense. Um, but yeah, I love them deeply. You just laughed. What, what did I say that made you laugh? You, I feel like you had a point of resonance there. Less, uh, uh, less something than fifth half. What'd you say? No, you said less. Like extroverted. Like extroverted. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in my third church and um, uh, I mean, Fifth Ave was by far the most extroverted, you know? And so I chuckled because um, I, I could be wrong. I don't know many other churches that would be more extroverted Okay. than one that's, you know, in Midtown Manhattan, that's, you know, 200 some odd years old. I could be totally wrong, you know? No, just- I think you're right. And I don't know why I didn't think I didn't carry that realization with me. It was a surprise to me and it probably shouldn't have been. I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's to your, to your point about context though. Right. Like, I mean, you're also in the middle of what you just said, a um, campus type community. And so, you know, that's not a fit Ave experience, but oh man, you know, um, when I went to Huguenot, I mean, if you weren't wearing a tie, bad news. Interesting. And that surprised me because I was thinking if any place would be more formal, it would be the super high church in Manhattan. Yeah. The less high church in Westchester County. Totally misread that context. What's it like in Arlington? Oh man. Well, what's funny is that before the pandemic, it was high stayed, you know, oh man, tie that sort of thing. And, and, COVID-19 has changed that greatly. Okay. I mean, we used to not even have many worshipers who would come in on a Sunday in less than, you know, smart cash, business casual, whatever the theology is. Now it's, 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 we've brought that expectation to a different place. Okay. Uh, Do you guys robe up? You robe, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. So in California, I mean, I just, it's such a trip having lived in New York fashion capital, just <laughs> the nines, like in my office, I have all of my commentaries and on the bottom shelf, I have all of my heels, my, my shoes <laughs> and, um, in California and especially the East Bay. So I can't necessarily yeah. say this is the case for Southern California, but the East Bay is so overt, overtly 
over the top casual, right? And yeah. so, um, and so they used to have a service where they would row, but then they had a service that was just like so casual. But now that we have one service, and yeah. my preference is, I have a very strong preference towards robing mm-hmm. for a myriad of reasons. Sure. I get a lot of questions. Why are you robing? What's the point of robing? Why are you like, why do you feel like you got to robe? Just, just come as you are. It's like so Californian. That's amazing. No, I, uh, um, I would also have a preference toward robing, you know, um, I don't mind the Roman collar type stuff, you know, like the clergy collar for, for our listeners who might not know that. I'm sorry, but, um, if nothing else, it is a physical visual signal of who we are. Yep. Not that we're better than, but like what we've been called to do, lead the people yep. in worship, right? So when yep. we kind of look around, it's like, who is doing that? I'm not sure. At least people know what we're there to do. Yep. You know, there's there's many other reasons, but to your point, you know, I mean, is, is that one of the reasons why you're a big fan? Yeah, for sure. And that, um, so yes, and to double down on that, because mm-hmm. as a young Asian woman, I am not immediately associated with being the pastor in the, or the preacher in the room. Like I've done weddings where I've walked into the room. And so the family doesn't know me. It's just like the bride and the groom who know me at that point. And nine out of 10 or 19 out of 20, like a high, high percentage of times they come up to me and they go, Oh, are you the wedding planner? And Mm. I mean, no disrespect to wedding planners. It's just immediately they size me up and assume that I have nothing to do with religious leadership. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, are you the wedding planner? Oh, are you the event coordinator? Um, When I was doing chaplaincy, I would walk into the hospital rooms. Oh, are you the social worker? But like the possibility that I could be the pastor or the minister or the officiant. No. And so all the more to, to just kind of, make that like demarcation or that um that i don't know and i i can't even yeah. think of the right word it, i i robe up it's it's helpful i'm i'm so appreciative of you saying that because i feel like also when i robe up it makes that playing field just a little bit more even as colleagues right and it's yeah. not like look at what i can do i don't have to wear a robe i can even wear brown shoes right you know like, like whatever right you know um, and, 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 and as odd as that might sound, I feel like it actually is an, is, is a, uh, is an equalizer, probably not the right word, but you know, it, it at least is a, is, is a, is, is an action that I can take that does, um, some sort of leveling of that playing field. I mean, and, and not at all the same, but when I was doing my CPE as a chaplain, I did my CPE in South Bend, Indiana. Okay. Which is the home of Notre Dame, right? This yeah. the University of Notre Dame. Yeah. And um, I frequently would walk in as a young bearded right. minister to be and be confused with the Notre Dame leprechaun mascot. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. And so while not at all the same thing, that is you want to lift up, right? How important these markers are. For us clergy, yes, point out who we are. I'll never forget um, Lenox <laughs> Hill Hospital. No, I know, I know, I know. Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, Upper Upper East Side. 
I visited a member when I was at Fifth Ave wearing a clergy collar and I didn't even have to go through security. Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, I mean, so anyway, uh, another digression by me, my apologies, but no, I love it. But I mean, you know, like, like, like people know who we are. Yeah. When we wear the robe. Yep. And, 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 and I am, am, am honored to serve in this fashion alongside you when we wear our robes. Yes. Absolutely. Amen. You know it. Amen. All right. Now let's see. Um, Charlene, you not only pastor this amazing church in this incredible context, but you also co-host a podcast and the podcast is called, this is crucial. This is crucial. Now, what is it like to host that podcast? And if I may ask, what is the Genesis story of that podcast? What brought this is crucial to fruition? Yeah. Great question. So I'll start with the Genesis one. Um, so when I moved here, so I started my call here in Berkeley in uh, October of 2020, what I affectionately refer to as the bowels of the pandemic, <laughs> right? Like, you know, there was 10 of us on the airplane. I remember I bought masks and face shields and the whole nine yards. There was like three people at JFK. It was nice. truly the bowels of the pandemic. Um and, and so I, um, was able to do after a few months of my call, I was able to do some creative stuff. Cause I'm like, look, we're virtual. We yeah. get to use the pulpit in a, in a way that we've never done it before. Yeah. Um, because we, we, I mean, you know, we were preaching to zoom cameras, iPhones, what have you. And so I did this series called letters to the church where I interviewed pastors from, uh, at churches, first Presbyterian churches across the country since we're first Pres Berkeley. Fun. Yeah. So I did first Project. Pres Statesboro, Georgia, first Pres Dallas, mm -hmm. first Pres Hayward. And it, I called it letters to the church and each of those pastors picked um, one of Paul's letters and also wrote their own letter to the church. Um, and so one of the people that I reached out to Amos DeSasa, who I'd met um, through like clergy networks before very briefly, we maybe met twice. Um, I reached out to him because I heard, I had heard that he was senior pastoring at first Pres Dallas. He'd been there for about a year. Okay. So I just reached out to him and said, Hey, would you be willing to do this zoom with me? And it didn't, he was like, absolutely. And if you need anything, I'm here for you, which, which was like the, like the cherry on top, because like, sure, I can have one zoom conversation, but here's a clergy person. I'm just going to like say the thing that's the obvious, but not often stated a black Presbyterian pastor of a predominantly white church. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first senior pastor of color that that church has ever had, which is wow. similar to my experience. I'm the first female senior pastor and the first person of color. So definitely the first senior female pa pastor of color, senior pastor. Right. Amen. And so, um, he kind of availed himself to be like a support and resource to me. And so we just started this like virtual text, and Zoom friendship. So then when he he post George Floyd's murder started a like a like kind of like you, a, a podcast for his church to have some important conversations. Um, and so he invited me to be a guest. Um, and this was a few months after we had done the the sermon for First Press Berkeley. And we had so much fun and there was such good repartee that he got to me afterwards and he's like, let's just do this together now. Like <laughs> anything, I'm having more fun hosting with you than having you be my guest. That's and beautiful. so then that just, um, 
yeah, it started this like whole kind of wonderful, beautiful journey of every month, just talking to new people. So right now we're on hiatus until January because we've been doing this for a year over, gosh, a year and a half, two years. Okay. Um, and we want to just make sure like we've got the format right. And, um, you know, the, the conversation that we are hoping to have is the one are the ones that we're having, but it's essentially, it's like a Korean American, an Ethiopian American Presbyterian pastors walk into a podcast, what happens next kind of a thing. Um, and so it's, it's fun. I mean, you tell me, isn't it like just basically being able to catch up with really awesome people and just recording it? Well, it it definitely is. I have to say that one thing that you are far braver than I, because one can also watch the episodes. of yeah. One cannot watch these. And um, that is fun because then you get addition, like, like you get the visual cue, right? You get the Oh, type faces or the, mm, you know, when somebody, you know, like strokes their chin, yeah. pondering that concept, yeah, which, which is a different way to absorb the media. Yeah. Right? Um, and I, my, my, my big concern with that is that I move around so much. I'm sure people would like get seasick because I'm just like this and little zoom box all the time, you know, but still like it is, it, it is great. And, and, um, uh, a fear that I have as a super newbie podcast host mm -hmm. is the fear of talking to amazing, brilliant church minds and keeping the, um, keeping the conversation so narrow that maybe a parishioner who might not necessarily know all that insider speak doesn't feel that engaged. Yep. Right. Yep. I would say that what you all do really well on your podcast is not that right. Mm -hmm. It, it the, the concepts are are uh, broad enough so that no matter who and 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 you both host it with such um uh, wisdom and grace and and uh uh awareness is probably a good word so that it's not just hey what do these clergy think yeah right what do these clergy want to listen to it's what do people of faith want to listen to mm -hmm. um so yeah you know that I, I i i think it's wonderful i do have a question though yeah. And that is that if any of our listeners mm -hmm. want to catch up on old episodes of oh, yeah. This is Crucial, how do they do that? Oh, um, thisiscrucial.com, YouTube, both of our, I mean, just go to thisiscrucial.com and then that'll connect you to the various playlists. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts, um, searchable through This is Crucial. That's a great question. And you'll, you'll see kind of the, the evolution of the conversation, but those are very kind words. Thank you. And it is, it's hard. I mean, it, to have authentic, honest conversation requires you to speak from your own unique, specific experience, but mm -hmm. then you're also trying not to box anyone out. Right. Um, and so again, something that I deeply appreciate, I mean, that, now this podcast is turning like a little bit of a love fest, which I don't mind at all because I deeply appreciate you. <laughs> is that your experiences that you share, Jacob, are never to place yourself over and against people. It always is to place yourself alongside, even if it is your own. Like, yes, I will never walk into a hospital room and be mistaken for the Notre Dame leprechaun. Um, but that that did make me feel closer in the sense that, you know, here you are this white male who walks into a hospital room and in my kind of just really lazy assumption, it's like, yeah, of course, anyone's going to want to have you sit by the, 
by their bedside. And um, I guess in the case of South Bend, Indiana, they want you to sit by their bedside because they think you're the school mascot. Like that's just crazy. If 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 First Pres South Bend is ever looking for a new pastor, I have yeah. a leg up in that. <laughs> you really do. Yeah. Work what that, your mama gave you. Okay. <laughs> think of what I could be for Halloween. Um, Amazing options. I could just sneak into home games. You really could. Yes. Little outfit. Yes, you should. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so Charlene, this has been great. You have shared with us the news of your life, your ministry, your call. Um, you've talked me up, which I appreciate. You've gotten us very excited for our next trip to Northern California so we can worship with you there. Um, and the good people of First Pres Berkeley, uh, we've learned about your work and your witness. But now I want to turn the next portion of this podcast over to climbing your spiritual tree. You have dedicated your adult life to serving the church and spreading the good news of a better way of life together, uh, built on a foundation of compassion, of mercy, of hope and joy. Uh, you've done this in incredibly global cities, right? Which which I don't think can be overlooked, um, acting as an agent of God and bringing people together amidst the fracture, fractured realities of our society. Hmm. You're a loving advocate for the healing power of God in, with, and through community. And you are an inspiration to many. But Charlene, I would love to know who are the people that have inspired you to this work, to this witness? Who are the visionaries that have helped make you Charlene Han Powell? I Okay, so um, full disclosure to the listeners, uh, Jacob was kind enough to send me a general sense of the questions ahead of time. So this <laughs> is not, this is not like, Oh, I just happened to know this answer. This is a really fantastic question that everyone should be answering for themselves who shaped us. Right. Um, so hands down, I would say the legacy or the narrative that's shaped me the most. And it's a person that I've never met, but it's my great grandfather. Mm. Um, one who I was studying at the Princeton Theological Seminary Library as a freshman at seminary. I looked at the wall of this one little room that we called the Asian room. It's actually called the Moffitt Library Room, um, named after Samuel Moffitt, who was a Presbyterian missionary to okay. Korea, um, wow. whose son was actually a professor and was still alive and at the seminary at the time. So I got to meet Samuel Moffat Jr. Wow. So I looked to the wall of um, this room and I see a picture that looked very familiar to me. Um, and it was, uh, I would say a group of eight Korean old, it's like a, you know, a hundred and a hundred year old photo of these eight Korean men. And I was like, I know that photo. I've seen that before. And I'm like, I have actually seen that in my house um, and ended up learning that in the photo, everyone is wearing traditional garb, including traditional Korean hats, except for one person who's in the corner, who's my great grandfather, who was so that group of men were the first graduates of the first Presbyterian seminary um, converted, evangelized to and converted by Samuel Moffat. Um, he ended up being the. Uh, moderator of the first general assembly in Korea before it was divided. But my claim to fame or what the thing that shaped me, not my claim, the, the thing that his claim to fame or the thing that shaped me was that he was the one who asked Samuel Moffat to leave. 
He said, in order for Christianity to become rooted in Korea, it needs to be Korean. So it cannot be an export wow. from another culture that is imposed on ours. It has to be rooted in, knitted in the fabric of our people, culture, and community. Yeah. And which is, I mean, you kind of hear it now with our 2023 progressive sensibilities. We're like, yeah, like that sounds about logical and right, but that was incredibly bold and courageous. Um, And even especially for a very reverent culture, um, it would have been seen as disrespect. And so the, the risk of doing that, and there was anger on the other side, like, look at what we've done for you. We've, you know, we've brought Christianity to Korea and then, you know, the Presbyterian church in Korea is the largest Presbyterian church in the entire world. Totally. I mean, right. I look, 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 look at what the fruit of that labor and risk. Right. Has been, right. And so I just, I think what it has shaped me is the notion that um, I think there are really beautiful parts and you can either, you know, agree or disagree with this really beautiful, holy, tender parts of ministry that make it fun and meaningful and worthwhile. Um, But his legacy reminds me that ministry should always be risky, right? Like radical love is risky, radical commitment I mean, Jesus calls for our entire lives. And so there always has an element of sacrifice or risk or courage attached to it. And so there have been points in ministry where I haven't felt that acute need or acute risk. Um, But in the moments that I've been something like moving my entire family in the midst of the pandemic across the country, I like call upon the memory of my great grandfather who reminds me that, you know, at its very core ministry is not about me. Right. Um, And so there are some modern examples, too, but I think that's the most um, prevalent tree, like branch of the tree. Yeah. That shaped me. I love that. I love that so much. I mean, to your point, right? I mean, largest Presbyterian church. And um, I mean, clearly started, initiated something that not only worked, but has worked, you know, um, that's amazing. I had no idea. Look at that. Yeah. Like th- 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 this is such a, a, a holy conversation. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for telling us about him. Yeah, absolutely. Are there other folks that have inspired you or who have helped make Reverend Dr. Charlene, Reverend Dr. Charlene? So, you know, there's one really cliche answer, but my reason for the answer is, um, is not the cliche part. So, I mean, I love Barbara Brown Taylor. I think her preaching and writing is really profound. So, I mean, there are, you'll find very few, definitely female pastors, but pastors in general, people in general who won't cite Barbara Brown Taylor as an inspiration, but how she shaped my ministry is actually not her preaching or her writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love watching people, especially prominent leaders, religious leaders, interact with other people when no one's watching. Um, and so at Fifth Ave, we had the the privilege of inviting a lot of really kind of I know this sounds like like a little oxymoronic to say, but big names in the church, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I got to see like some people. Everyone in the pulpit seems wonderful. 
but I got to see how people act in the vestry before you go out, right? <laughs> yes. Or in the vestry after the worship is done. Yes. That to me is the character of a person. And so I got to see some, some of those big names that have, you know, bestsellers and act a fool in the vestry mm. and be so rude and so demanding. And Barbara Brown Taylor was so singular in that I remember kind of just being like in awe. So here's Barbara freaking Brown Taylor. Um, and we're in the elevator and we're about to do a, like an adult ed event. And I'm asking her like how her travel was. And she answers it quickly. And she goes, I, but I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, okay, well, sorry. And she's like, I really want to hear about you. Tell me what, tell me about your family. And wow. she just like stops, like the world could be swirling around her. All these people wanting, but she just find she found a way to make it the world really small wow. when she was interacting with one person. And so as like my congregational um, exposure has gotten greater and greater, or bigger and bigger, just being like, just by virtue of being a senior pastor, totally. um, like something that I really strive for is a ministry where you have the courage, like my great grandpa taught me to, to preach to many, but when you're with one, you're with that one person, right? Mm -hmm. And everything else gets a little blurry around the edges. So you can see that person more clearly. Um, and so that's something that, you know, in a kind of a surprising turn of events that just in witnessing somebody like Barbara Brown Taylor, um, I got to see, honestly, witnessing somebody like you do ministry, Jacob, the way you loved the youth in particular, you knew every child by name. No, but that makes a difference, right? Like you didn't know that, like, if anything, you prioritized children and youth over parents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which in a church world, you know, in the world world, you tend to prioritize adults and people of means over, you know, kind of angsty teens and bratty kids. Um, but those, those were your visible priorities in your ministry. And so that kind of thing really, that shapes me. No, right on. I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, many people say that, you know, if we had our priorities, right. You know, preschool teachers and elementary school teachers would be the folks that are paid the most, <laughs> right? And it's because of the, you know, the the amazing stuff that they do. And um, uh, it was an incredible opportunity at Thav to, um, you know, especially because of what was happening when I started, um, was to lift up and hopefully, right, like honor. Um, some of the folks who did not get, I mean, who did not have that opportunity, at least in the previous iterations of Fifth Avenue, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not, not, not a congregation that was like, hey, we're going to do a bunch of stuff with kids, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I'm glad, but what I, what, what I find so interesting about you and Barbara Bonnet Taylor is what you said about being a senior pastor, mm. because, you know, um, uh, I don't remember if it's in this if it's, if it's in these questions that I, that I sent you beforehand in this little podcast script or not, but I, I, I think I coined you a public theologian. I know. Well, you have a podcast, you're a senior pastor, you're coast to coast, you know, you're influential and next, and that's a lot of public stuff. Right. But what you just named is how even how, how that's a great title, whatever, but how important the private happens to be right the one-on-one -on -one, the 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 knowing people 
and asking people and caring for people. Um, and then how influential that not only has been in your life, wanting to do that more, but clearly the impact that that's had on you, right? Like, I mean, if we can know the impact people had on us that was positive, we can reflect pretty simply and say, hey, we want to do that more. Mm -hmm. We want to do that again, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, we far too often think about, oh man, that was not a great experience. So we mm -hmm. don't want to do that. Yeah. Rarely do we say, hey, that was wonderful, right? Yeah. That was meaningful. That was deep. Let's let yeah. let's let's see how I can embody that or how I can bring that to fruition for someone else. I I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest that hearing things like, oh, public, like, like I, I just want to crawl under the table. Um, yeah. It's. I have zero. It, it, I think one of the crazy realizations for me having grown up as a, you know, a Korean American girl whose parents were always like, shoot for the stars as high as you can possibly go. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, um, I did not take this call. I actually didn't even pursue this call because it was a senior pastor position, but I just felt ultimately felt called to the community. Um, I love parish ministry. Mm. Like, I mean, that's the one thing that I, um, I would really kind of lament about being a Barbara Brown Taylor is that, and, and I know that she's pastored her own church, but just like yeah. being, always being on the road, like I hate guest preaching actually. I yeah. love knowing the stories of the people whose eyes I'm looking into. Um, I think, you know, that's, I think a real downside of the past, like, okay. So it's like such a blessing to be able to do podcasts and all of these things. Yeah. And the downside is that um, relationships can be really built thinly and widely quickly. But like, when has that ever been the qualities of a good relationship? Amen. Right. Totally. It's, yes. Yeah. It's deep, narrow, entrenched, you know, like that kind oh, of a yes, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, yeah. What I, do, do you know Stacy Smith? And if not, I'm sorry, but she's, mm -hmm. a, she's, she's, she's an amazing, she went to union with me. So we were, we were in seminary together and she has done a lot of ministry throughout the denomination. Um, uh, she like did the Lily in Indiana and then was in Tennessee for a while. She's currently in upstate New York. And we were recently discussing just how seminary, at least at union did not say to either of us, parish ministry is awesome. Right. In fact, if anything, it said, you know, do your two or three years and then find something else. Yeah. And I've only professionally done parish ministry for 16, 17, whatever it is, years. And I and I was just so wrong, you know, my middle year of seminary, um, in part because I was taught that, but also because I, I just didn't know the amazing opportunities, the gifts of serving these unique outposts of Christianity that we find ourselves in yeah. with such, with such fascinating context yep. that to your point, right. Is, is fun, but is also an honor. Yeah. Right. Is, is, is also in, in, um, uh, an opportunity. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, and, and, and while there is such a weight to that, a potential burden. Mm -hmm. I don't want to focus my time speaking very, very, very personally yeah. on that. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want, I, I want to focus my pastoral energy, how much of it I have on sharing collectively with those amazing good people and seeing what we can do together yep. in the name of God, Jesus, you know, the risen one, yep. um, which again was, it, it, it is, is such a cool thing. And I'm so glad you named it because I, I, I have no idea what the state of theological education is in our denomination right now. Um, right. um, and, and, and I'm wary of judging it publicly on this podcast, but also want to say how fantastic it is that you just said you love parish ministry. Oh yeah. It's the best. Because it is an opportunity. It is not something to be like, Hey, get it done and then do something cool wherever. No. Um, you know, it, 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 it is a unique lift but it is such an affirming and positive and um, amazing opportunity. And uh, the people of Berkeley are, are blessed beyond measure to have you, Charlene. They're leading them as pastor. That's for sure. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else that we should make sure that we name together before we uh, conclude this podcast? And thank you so much for being with us. Um, I would just name that this has been a, ble a blessing to reconnect with you and how important it is to have, um, companions along the way. So no matter mm -hmm. what journey you're on, whether it's parish ministry or you're a teacher, preschool teacher, or a politician or a business person or a lawyer or someone who is CEO of a household, um, I think- right the companion piece of it is real. And so I'm, I'm just so honored and lucky to have a companion like you, um, for the, for the ride. So thank you. Thank you for making this happen. Likewise. Absolutely. Charlene, it has been an absolute treat to climb the Charlene Han Powell tree. Um, please do check out thisiscrucial.com and you can get much more Charlene there um, or check her out at Forbes Press, Berkeley. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much. Much love and hold fast. <laughs>